listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, please check out our website at stTimothystores.org or come visit us Sunday nights at 615 at the St. Mark's Chapel right here on Yukon's It is good to be together again. When we said goodbye and for spring break, I didn't think it would be six months until we'd see each other again. Um, but the Lord has been faithful to us as a community. My hope and prayer is that the Lord has been faithful to each of you individually. I know it's been a difficult season, and there's been a lot of heartache and a lot of disappointment and a lot of pain. Um, and that's why we gather here together, to be together, to support each other, to pray for each other, and to believe that God is still faithful. Um, So we want to begin, like we always begin, by diving into God's Word. And we believe that God's Word is living and active, so that it speaks specifically to each of us, to our specific circumstances, to our specific situations, to our specific lives. So as we read God's Word tonight, as I read it over you, and you can follow along in your bulletins, I just invite you to listen to what God is highlighting for you specifically. Is there a word? Is there a phrase? Is there an emotion that stands out? And then in the few moments of silence that follows after the reading, I would invite you to start a conversation with God. God, this stood out to me in the passage. What are you trying to show me? What do you want to say to me? What are you drawing my attention to? And so as we prepare to hear God's word, I just invite you to let go of any stress or anxiety or pain that you carried in. This is a stressful season. We carry a lot of pressure in our shoulders. So I invite you to just relax your body, push your shoulders back, take a deep breath in through your masks, breathing in the goodness of God, and just a long, slow breath out, just letting go of fear or stress, anxiety or pain. And one deep breath in, just letting the goodness of God fill your lungs. And a breath out, allowing pain and fear and worry to leave your body and helping yourself to be present in this moment now. So Father, speak to us through your word. We are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and open minds. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way...
I agree. I feel like this is a great way to start our semester together because it's very apropos of our moment, of our political moment, cultural moment, just our well-being in general, um, specifically because it's talking about the idea of blessing. And that's a question that people are always wanting to know. Like, what do I need to do to get blessed? Hashtag blessed on all my Instagram posts. Um, and like, is it who is blessed? Who gets God's favor? The the best, the brightest, the people who do the most Bible studies, the kindest, the most generous, the most justice-minded. Who? What does it mean when God says, "Blessed are you"? And and how do we get on that list? I'm sure each one of us would love to feel the hand of God on us this semester, would love to feel the Lord's favor flowing over us, would love to be blessed. So what is that going to look like for us? What does Jesus say? You are Who, who is blessed? And if you remember, it's, it's sort of a poetic section. So he says nine times, blessed are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. So it seems initially like he's talking about nine different types of people. But when you actually look closely, you realize he's doing some beautiful poetic repetition. Um, and he's really talking about kind of three groups of people. So Jesus says, who is blessed? Those who lack, those who love, and those who persevere. And like you guys have all been saying, it's sort of an unexpected list of blessings. It's not what you expect Jesus to say. You expect him to say, the one who follows me, the one who gives up everything and does as I ask, the one who um, fulfills the law. But as you probably know by now, after we should know from the last six months, Jesus is always doing the unexpected. It's a good rule of thumb to say that always expect the unexpected with Jesus. So we'll look at this beginning in verses 3 through 6. Jesus says, Blessed are those who lack, who are in need, who cannot make it by their own strength or skill alone, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And in the Greek, those four words, poor, mourning, meek, and hungry, all begin with the letter P. My Greek pronunciations have a little Spanish flair to them. I can't tell you why. Uh, but but Pachoy, Penthontes, Preasis, and Peonentes, those are the four words. And this is a poetic cue that Jesus is repeating the same concept over and over and over again. These are not four different states of being. These are four ways of lacking. These are four different types of suffering and pain and lack. These are four states of mind. These are not four separate states of mind. These are all ways of describing someone hurting, someone in need, someone who is lacking the strengths and resources they need. And like we said, it's sort of counterintuitive to start the list this way. These aren't the people, these, would, these are the people you'd say aren't blessed. Like if we were going to make a list of people who are not blessed, you would start here. Those who lack. These are the people we think we should be praying for in church not necessarily aspiring to be. But here it is in our scriptures. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn and hunger and struggle and lack. He says, they will be comforted. They will be filled. They will reign in the kingdom of heaven. Those who have, seem to have the least will receive the most in Jesus' economy. The last will be first and the first will be last. Those who have suffered and struggled in this life will be the first to experience the goodness of God on the other side. 
So I wanted to sit here for a minute. We, uh, we, we've already kind of said no one really aspires to this. No one wants to be the one who lacks. But I would say all of us have an area of lack. All, all of us have an area of need or grief or mourning where we're feeling like we don't have the resources we need to do the work that God has put in front of us. So I would say just think for a minute. You can open your notes. There's a space for reflection. I would say think about for a moment about your own current lack, your own current need or grief or hunger. Could God meet you in that lack? What, what could God do to comfort you, to fill you? How could he bless you in your lack? Take a moment, think about it, write it down, write a little prayer to God. God, I need... Jesus says, blessed are those who lack. And in this season, we are all needing something. So I would encourage you, bring that lack to Jesus and allow him to bless you in that. But before we move on, I just want to clarify that even though we know that God will one day comfort and restore and bless those who suffer, that doesn't mean that we are exonerated of our responsibility to help. So just because we can say God will take care of them, doesn't mean we are excused from helping. Just because God will meet their needs doesn't mean they're not our responsibility. And we know that because when you look at the next section of the Beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are those who love. The merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those are the people who see a lack and they reach out in love to help. Those who see a need, they see a hurt, and they don't respond with judgment or punishment, but they respond with mercy and with love and with peace. So first Jesus says, blessed are those who lack because they will be filled, they will be comforted, they will experience more blessing than they could ever have imagined. And then in the meantime, he says, blessed are those who heal and who help. For they will see God, they will receive back the mercy and love that they extend. And they will be true children of God, experiencing the fulfillment of all God's promises to his covenant people. So again, let's pause here for a minute. I know this community of people. I know that you are people who care, people who extend yourself for those in need, people who love each other deeply. So I would say in this moment, in this season, how is God using you to bless the world? Who are you being called to love? To whom are you extending mercy? Where are you being a peacemaker? Think for a moment about how God is blessing you to be a blessing.
And let's remember, he doesn't say those who love will be wealthy and famous and followed by millions on social media. The reward for loving God's people is experiencing the love and favor of God, not the adoration of the wider world. And that, again, becomes clear when we move to the final blessing. Blessed are those who persevere. Because Jesus offers both an encouragement and a warning that those who truly love God and God's people will not necessarily be loved by the world in return. So in verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And righteousness simply means being in right relationship with God and right relationship with God's people. So, in other words, being merciful, being pure in heart, being a peacemaker can and will result in persecution from an angry and unjust world that does not want to see God's justice and righteousness reign. And to make sure that the people are really getting this point, in case they've missed it up till now, that he's flipped around the concept of blessing and, do, and has been counterintuitive and countercultural, in this last passage, he sort of grabs them by the lapels, so to speak. He looks them straight in the eye. He switches from the third person. It's no longer, blessed are abstract noun that may or may not apply to you. He switches it to the blessed are you and said, blessed are you. Each and every one of us, blessed are you, when people insult you, when they persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And just like Anna was saying at the beginning, if you picture yourself in the scene, this is a jarring moment. Up until now, it's been like, okay, blessed are those who lack all right, well, that's maybe hopeful. Blessed are those who love. All right, that seems like compassionate and giving. But now blessed are those who persevere. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who suffer for my sake. That's when you think like, hang on a minute. I'm supposed to be insulted and lied about and being publicly shamed on false grounds? does not sound like what you would expect a blessing to be. But here again, like we've said, Jesus overturns expectations. He is not concerned, first and foremost, about our comfort and our ease, our success and our personal satisfaction. He's concerned with our character, with our love for one another, with our hunger and our need for God, and our willingness to sacrifice that praise and affirmation that feeds us in so many ways. He wants us to be able to stand firm in our faith despite our circumstances. And here in Connecticut, persecution is not going to look like what it looks like internationally and globally, where your life is on the line because you believe in God, where you have to worship in secret, where you have to worship in private. That is happening today, now, all over the world, that people sacrifice their lives because of their faith. So we don't generally have to worry about that kind of persecution, but that doesn't mean the persecution that we face is not still real and is not still a barrier. So I want you to think for a moment about your own circumstances and your situations. Are you the only one in your family or your friend group who has a relationship with Jesus? 
Do your friends or family not really understand your priorities or do they question your commitments or they try to like push you to do things or make choices that you wouldn't that you feel like are not the choices God would have for you? Are there circumstances where you fear that you'll miss out on opportunities and advancements and success if people know about your faith? So I want you to just take a moment and talk to God about any area where you feel like he's calling you to persevere. Any relationship, any circumstance, any situation where he's offering you a blessing in the midst of, of persecution. some of you have stories of persecution right here from UConn, where your departments, where your advisors, where your friends and faculty members just haven't understood your faith. I know when I first came to UConn as a grad student, I was straight out of Christian college and squeaky clean. This is a whole new world for me. And I went to my first graduate student party and I was horrified. Uh, It was just a whole different world for me. Um, And I remember making a comment to a friend about about like how this was sort of like unnecessary, the amount of drinking and the amount of just kind of chaos. And some of the older male grad students behind me said very loudly so that everyone could hear, that Christian one is a real prude. And I know that being called a prude is not the worst persecution you'll probably ever experience in your life. In fact, he was probably kind of accurate. I was sort of a prude. Um, But in that moment, I was horrified I had not yet, I was my first week of grad school, my first week at this big university, and I hadn't yet decided, am I going to talk about my faith? How open am I going to be about my faith? Am I, is that going to be a public fact that's known about me in the department? Or is that going to be the private thing that I do on Sunday and nobody else needs to know about? And I'm not sure how he knew, um, but, but he let everybody know in my department um, that I was... A stiff Christian prude, which is just the way you want to make friends. But in, in hindsight, I'm grateful because he kind of forced me, forced me out. I think without that experience, I might have kept my faith to myself. I might have just let it be a private experience because I worried about my advisors. I knew a lot of the faculty in the English department were not people of faith, were actively, um, opposed to faith and thought it was a reduction of one's intellectual rigor. So I would have probably kept it to myself and pretended that it wasn't a part of who I was. I would have segmented my identity. Here's my Christian self. Here's my academic self. Never the two will meet. So in hindsight, I'm very thankful because I made a choice and I made a choice to be honest. When people asked me about what I was doing on a weekend, I would say, oh, I've got church on Sunday. Sorry. Do you want to come with me? If I had a friend who was going through a difficult circumstance or a hard situation who was really struggling with anxiety or depression, I would offer to pray for them. 
And when people would ask me, what brought you to grad school? Why did you decide to do a master's in English, a PhD in English? Why do you stick around? I would say very honestly that I felt called by God. And the easier answer would have been like, oh, I just love to teach. But the honest answer was, I felt called by God to be here at UConn. So here I am. And in the end, no one excluded me. No one mocked me. No one tried to convince me that my faith was irrational or anti-intellectual. The only thing that would happen is when they would swear in class, they would look at me awkwardly and say sorry, and then we would all feel awkward. But if that's the worst that happens to you because people know that you're a Christian, then that's not so bad. And even the guy who called me a prude tried to ask me out later in the semester. And that is called a hard pass. Sorry, buddy. So I would just invite you, as this semester begins, to not be afraid to be honest about your faith. To not feel that temptation to segment out your life. This is my Christian side. This is my, my Yukon side. And I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna let the two interact. Tell people about what you do when you feel anxious. Tell people about what has gotten you through COVID. Tell people about your navigator's Bible studies. Tell people about going to church on Sunday. Invite them. You may experience some hostility. You may experience some resistance. But I can almost assure you, that it will that it will not be anything that you can't overcome and you will bless God and be blessed by him because you are honest and you live out your faith despite the circumstances despite your fears despite your anxieties so this semester if that's been a struggle in the past do it differently pray for people be honest about your faith be open you don't have to be handing out pamphlets and bulletins and blasting Caleb out your dorm window But when someone asks you person-on-person in a genuine, honest conversation, share the hope that you have. Share the relationship with Jesus you have. Tell them how how you have felt hope and peace and love from your Savior. And so again, as we wrap this up, this is a counterintuitive passage. This is not the, we're all going to be blessed, we're all going to have good lives, God loves us. Boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. We all want to be blessed by God, and there is no shame in seeking his favor and seeking his help and support throughout the semester. Any fear you have, any worry you have, any need or concern you have, ask for help, ask for wisdom, ask for blessings. But I would just encourage you, don't get nearsighted. If your blessings don't come when you want, the way you want, the the timing you wanted, don't give up and lose faith in the goodness of God. The kind of blessing Jesus is talking about here are eternal blessings. The kind of blessings that play out over your lifetime and into the next one. And it's a hard truth that all your desires may not be fulfilled this side of heaven. And all the love you pour out into the world may never come back to you in this lifetime. And all the vindication that is rightfully yours may never be publicly known. But God knows, and Jesus sees, and the Holy Spirit walks with you. So I can almost promise you that God will overturn your expectations in the coming semester. 
and the weeks and the months and the years, they're going to look different than what you think. And when things don't look the way you're expecting, don't assume you've missed a blessing. Don't assume that you are not among God's blessed. You are not among God's chosen ones. You are not favored by God. Trust that he is at work in your life and that you will experience the goodness of God in this life and in the next. Because blessed are you because you lack. Blessed are you because you love. Blessed are you because you persevere. Your blessings are coming. And as Jesus says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Will you pray with me? Father, we just come tonight with lots of questions and worries and anxieties and fears and thoughts about what do the coming months look like? How can we get through these next few months wisely and safely? And wholeheartedly. And so, Father, we just ask for your wisdom. We ask that you would meet our lacks, that you would help us to love those around us, and that you would help us to persevere. We cannot do this on our own, Father. We cannot walk this life. We cannot go day by day. We cannot get through this season on our own. So we just ask for your spirit to help us, Father. We ask for your presence to empower us. We ask for your goodness to encourage us. That we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And all God's people said, Amen.